Fox and Fallon episode 11. We hit the double digits, talked about it before, a little midweek mashup special edition because it was like a national holiday in Boston yesterday. We had the Bruins, the Celtics, and the Red Sox all in play. It wasn't like a golden day in Boston, Tanya, but I have to say there's got to be some sort of red zone for cities that have all three or four of their teams playing at once. Wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah, that would be amazing, especially because the Bruins and Celtics are always in the playoffs. So because they're always in the playoffs, they're always playing at the same time as the Red Sox. (laughs) Listen, I don't make the rules. (laughs) This is how the seasons work, and this is how Boston operates. So, you know, it's great because this happens – when you go to Sunny McLean's in Santa Monica, the Boston bar, I still they have gone. all of the three teams at the same time. Whitey Bulger like, City? Yeah, yes. Whitey, Whitey Bulger's favorite bar. Exactly, yes. So, which, like, uh, might have been a tip-off. <laughs> like, this guy I really mean, this, this, this guy clearly was, like, spotted all across by the FBI with a Red Sox hat on. Like, he's, it's not pink hats. This is, like, white hats of America FBI's most wanted fugitive chilling at a Boston bar. I, I still don't believe to this day that those those bartenders didn't know that Whitey Bulger was sitting yeah, like right they in front of them. Te- they couldn't like hear that Dorchester accent that he had. Like, okay. But, I mean, listen, it's it's one of the great <laughs> mysteries of life that he lasted that long in Santa Monica, like right next to the FBI. Uh, but yes, anyway, so... One thing I can tell you is a mystery that will be solved on Wednesday night when the Celtics are knocked out of the playoffs by the monster Giannis Antetokounmpo. Nailed it. Did I do it, right? Yeah, you did. Anyways, um, what a miserable showing and what a like a hapless ending to the Celtics season. This is a team that has had adversity all season and they could never overcome it in the middle of the season. It should be no surprise to anyone that they're getting knocked out of the playoffs the way that they are. Kyrie Irving still cannot get back on his feet and put up a showing. And instead of taking more shots or whatever he wants to do, saying, oh, I only took 20 shots last night. I should have taken 30. I'm selfish. Listen, that's like what old superstars used to do. Kobe, when he gets mad, he would just keep taking shots. Those shots, Kyrie, are still not going to fall. And you're still not going to get your team to feel any better about the way that you're playing because he's ruining the team chemistry He's ruining the Celtics playoff run. Yeah, I mean, I think I felt stupid for buying into that after that first round. You know, they were clicking so well and everything looked great. And I just, you know, they were playing the Pacers, who seemed like they'd be a decent matchup. And I just, I really got fooled. And I should have known better. I've never liked Kyrie on this team. I've never felt he was a good fit. We bought in pretty, with everything yeah. that he was saying. Was, but I mean, it was pretty obvious last year that they didn't need him to do well in the playoffs. And now they're going to get ousted around earlier against a crappier team, and it's just the facts are there. It's not even debatable anymore. This team is better without Kyrie. They're better when they're spreading the ball around to, you know, these younger players who are up and coming and figuring it out when on a team that Brad Stevens can really control as a, as a as the kind of coach that he is. he Kyrie is a tremendous talent. We can tell that. But when, like you said, when he's not hitting shots, when they're not falling – the team doesn't have a backup because when he comes in, he messes with the chemistry. And like when you do that, when you can't rely on the most talented player on your team for that long of a stretch, when your best player is going 19 for 62 across three games from the field, that is horrific. Kyrie collected 61 points over the last three games. It took him 62 attempts 
yeah. to make that. That's unacceptable. Poor shooting, their unwillingness to pass. And not only that, we haven't even talked about how indifferent they are playing on defense. Mm, I know. I mean, they just got Marcus Smart back. And, like, he's – I mean, you can't really fault him for not, you know, being on top of his game the other day. And it's like he just returned. He hasn't been a part of the, you know – the playoffs thus far and I do think that he had he been given a little bit more time to adjust maybe he could have reinvigorated them defensively I mean they're not you know, Giannis has been as good as he usually is he hasn't yeah. been any better than he normally is he just was he was an MVP candidate during the regular season and he has played very well in this series against the Celtics specifically since game one but this is a matter of the Celtics not playing their game and that essentially they're beating themselves. Well, it's really the only time the Celtics are successful or has been successful in the series was in game one when Giannis went completely flat. Seven of 21 shooting, 66 points in the paint. It wasn't just Giannis. They're just, they're not playing defense. They haven't given up a total like that in 23 years. This is embarrassing. And allowing the Bucks to be on a tear like that, okay, well, you know, we'll step back and we'll let them play their game and let them miss shots. It's not helping them at all. And, like, you know, the Celtics, not only that, Tanya, but when they're trying to come back, they let they let the Bucks go on these crazy one runs, 20 to no, 23 to nothing, 12 nothing. That's when they run away with it. Uh, instead of making decisions and setting up a setting up a scheme on the floor and being being consistent and passing it, they're just playing hero ball, throwing up Hail Marys. And hoping that something falls. Well, and when, yeah. and when, it, when it doesn't happen, what happens after that, Tanya? The team completely falls flat and they quit. Well, that's what you, you you resort to hero ball when everything goes to hell because your best player is not shooting well. That's what we see it in college all of the time. The unfortunate thing for Kyrie on top of everything else is that this is the same exact team that the Celtics beat in seven games last postseason. Now, yeah, it took them seven games, but they were playing those games much closer. We didn't see this kind of dysfunction from them at all. Uh, so there's a direct comparison to what the Kyrie-less Celtics did against Giannis and the Bucks last year versus what the Celtics with Kyrie have done this year. And it's it looks really bad. And I have to be honest, I tweeted this earlier and I stand by it. Good riddance, go to the Knicks. Like you are yeah. already the perfect Nick. You already think that you shooting more when you're shooting that poorly is the answer. Ooh, that's so Knicks. That's Carmelo Anthony. That is... Hmm. Ooh, Madison Square Garden's going to Well, not, you up. not even that, Tanya. I mean, this is so Knicks. Kyrie Irving left the floor with 10 seconds left to play when they were getting blown out. <laughs> I mean, that's just that's just the perfect stomp your feet. I don't want to really talk to the media. I, I don't care about this anymore. You know, I'm confident. Like, leaving the floor and leaving your team in a basically a blowout loss is the worst showing of sportsmanship in all of the NBA. And I agree with you. You know what? Listen, Kyrie, I hope that you go on that floor on Wednesday when you're going to get blown out in game five. I hope you take 30 shots in the first half so this fucking game ends at halftime. Yeah. And I want it to be over. Yeah, this needs to be done. I definitely think that, like, you know, I, I almost wonder if KD even, would even want to play with Kyrie after watching. With, what, if, you were, if you were Kevin Durant and you've played with the players you've played with in the past and you've played with somebody like Russell Westbrook, who shoots his face off and and I mean I'm not saying Kyrie's better Kyrie's definitely better than Russell Westbrook but my point is he's been there done that with a point guard who can't keep his shit together and who loses his cool and gets on these cold streaks I would be really surprised if he'd want to play with Kyrie like you know the Knicks are kind of the most obvious option but 
It could be somewhere else. And, he, and I kind of hope he lands somewhere he doesn't want to be, to be honest, because maybe that would be the best thing for him. Well, clearly we have, we have seen that Kyrie can't handle himself in situations where he's the leader or can't handle himself in situations where LeBron is the alpha. I mean, anyone that he's going to have to play with has to be, has to get along with you. I completely agree that Kevin Durant has his own personal ego issues or, I mean, I, I think Kevin Durant is a fantastic player. I like his agent. I like everything about what he stands for, but I mean, anyone that's going to put Kyrie in a cog of a, of a, of a power three team or a power three you know, power three players on a, on a right. superstar team. If like you know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like you're going to have to like have the disclaimer that like, we've seen everything that we need to see about who his character and who he's going to be. You know, like I don't, I don't think any, any GM of a team, no James Dolan, no one, Steve Ballmer for the Clippers. Like no one's going to want him on a team. Everything that he stands for is laid out on the floor for everyone to see. And especially I think what will go on his ending resume, it would be, it would behoove him if he didn't go out and finish his Celtics career on a high note, because that's just, any sore eye is going to work against him for any team that he's playing next year. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to say that he can't get a max deal. Like, I would be surprised no, he's if gonna he get a, max get a max deal. deal he but will. But it also depends on what team he lands with. You know, like, right now the betting odds actually have the Nets as the favorite team for him to land on. And to be honest, they have, have such a good young core. They have really talented, it's it's, just, it's a very up-and-coming team. Yeah, and but if they got the right, if they got the right superstar in there, the Nets could be a force. But we I just I yeah, mean, but I don't look away. We, a young over again, but Kyrie just doesn't seem like the guy to do it. No, he's not the guy. He shouldn't be. He shouldn't be in charge. Kyrie should not be in charge of himself. He needs someone else that's that's a bigger star, a bigger name, a bigger power, a better basketball well, player. Well, that is KD. Well, exactly because yeah. look what he was supposed to come into this. You know. Uh, underrated Celtics team and take over. I mean, I know Al Horford is aging, but I mean, what did he do on the Celtics that's going to make you believe that he should be the leader on anyone else's team? Nothing. End of discussion. Yeah. Well, the Boston Bruins are moving on to the Eastern Conference Finals, Tanya. Very exciting day in Boston. Clenching a Game 6 victory over the Columbus Blue Jackets. Bring on someone that knows a lot about the Boston Bruins and the NHL. This is Boston's own Danny Picard with the wickedest accent ever. He has no apologies. He's got a radio show, the Danny Picard Show. Danny, welcome to the Fox and Fallon Show. Welcome. Thanks for having me. You would go after the accent right away. I think that I listened back right to... Right away. We listened back to the uh, the podcast that we did three years ago at your Dorchester Studios. And I think that I we had a whole discussion about how unapologetic you are about your accent. So I had to mention it. Some people have told me to get rid of it, but... Uh... I don't know. I just, I'm just trying to be myself. You know what I'm saying? I'm, you know, I have to ask you before we even talk about the incredible shout out from Tuca last night and just how well he's played. You need to admit right now if you were a Tuca Rask hater this season or not, because there were a lot of them. No, I've been a Tuca Rask supporter um, basically his whole career. Um, I, it's pretty well documented. I, I, I've written about it too. Uh, in the Metro, my column in the Boston Metro. I, I just think that this year, during some of his struggles, I, I, I kind of stayed away from the Tuca argument because it just seemed to be uh, uh, it seemed to be crazy both ways. Like the supporters thought he could do no wrong, and then the people who criticized him thought he never did anything good. And so it was so extreme one way or the other. 
in my opinion, the truth this season, it rides somewhere in the middle with him. You know, I always was I always was a supporter though from the get go, and I'm not surprised this is what he's doing now. I mean, he was the goalie of his team when they went to the Stanley Cup Finals back in 2013, and I think people forget that he was the guy then because all people remember is 2011 and Tim Thomas. But um, I'm not surprised that he's playing this way right now. I, I think that you know I, the only surprise would be that early on in the season he had some personal issues, had to take a leave of absence, and. I wasn't really sure how he would bounce back from some of the stuff that was going on in his personal life, but it seems like he's as focused as he's ever been, and that's obviously a great thing for this team right now. But, yeah, I've, I've been a Tuca Rath supporter. John Tortorella said that he felt like they dented Tuca in Game 5. A lot of dents to the crossbar, four shots that hit the post, hmm. um, but a lot of that had to do with his positioning. He seems so dialed in in the net. Um, is this the best that you've seen him play in his career? Oh, it's up there. I, I mean, I'd have to go back. I can I can remember in 2013 going on shows and praising him to people that didn't want to really give him credit. And and so you know, anytime you're the goaltender on a team that gets to the Cup final, you got to be doing something right. So I mean, I'm sure he was pretty locked in in 2013 as well. But in recent memory. No, this is as locked in as I've seen him, and not necessarily on the initial shots that he's facing. It's it's really about, you know, rebound control and, and how dialed in and locked in he looks on some of the second opportunities that come his way right away. But, yeah, I mean, you post the, the, the post and the crossbar can be your best friend if you're a goaltender. Certainly that's the case for him right now. But, you, you know, I, I just think that he's showing us what he is. And he's been one of the better goalies in the National Hockey League the last couple of years. And it's just the questions with him were, you know, can he put it all together and, and take a team on his back when it matters the most? And I think we're finding out right now that, that yeah, he, he can do that. And so, I mean, in recent memory, this is as locked in and dialed in as I've, I've seen him. Looking forward a little bit to the Hurricanes and, and, and what last night's game kind of projects this team as as they enter a new series. You know, that 3 nothing score, it, it, it doesn't really tell the full story of the game. Um, they struggled defensively a lot all night, and Tuca had a lot of work to do. Like you said, there were a lot of rebound saves, a lot of first and second shots that he had to do a lot of work on. Um, that final scrimmage around the net in the final minute of the game was incredibly tense. They just couldn't clear it out. Now, obviously, I know that mm. they, they had an extra guy on the ice, but they've been handling that um, better earlier, and, and it just it was a tough de- defensive game for them overall, despite what we saw. Do you feel that way, and do you th- and do you think that it's potentially an issue heading into the next series? I mean, I, I think there's something to be said for Columbus being at home. That crowd was crazy, um, and I think that just because they're the eight seed, that doesn't mean they, they didn't have any offensive firepower. Uh, they have offensive firepower. I think they showed that in the first round against Tampa Bay. You know, Tampa Bay team that had really the best offense in the league all year long, and and they swept them. So um, I just think Columbus needs to be praised at some point. But it, again, I mean, it brings me back to the initial questions that you had about. The goaltender, you know, if you don't have a goaltender that's locked in in those pressure-packed moments at the end of tight games, then, you know, you're going to see comebacks and you probably would have, we'd probably be seeing a game seven 
tomorrow night, but we don't see that because of the goaltender and because he was standing on his head in those moments, you know, but I just think Columbus, yeah, they're the eighth seed, but they have a lot of weapons. They were playing with a lot of confidence. That was a game at home late in a game where they know the season's on the line. You pretty much always see a team like that with nothing to lose, buzzing in the offensive zone, looking to make something happen. And, and, you know, credit the Bruins for holding on and, and finishing it out in game six because I didn't think they would finish it in game six. My prediction going into game six was that Columbus would win and we'd be seeing a game seven. So, yeah, I think Columbus deserves credit for what they did in the first round. And, and obviously they're a solid team, but the Bruins and the goaltending, they just they weren't losing that game no matter how much Columbus was buzzing in the last couple minutes. Brad Marchand caught a lot of criticism after the game for his post-game interview. It was very Greg Popovich-esque. One-word responses. People were saying, you know, was saying everything about him. Uh, what is the story mm-hmm. behind Brad Marchand not speaking after the game? What your your opinion of it? You know what? I was caught off guard by that because I saw it on Twitter. It was the Canadian channel, right? Was yeah, it, TSN? it was TSN, yes. It happened on, I think. Yeah. And so I was a little caught off guard. I saw it on Twitter. I didn't know the backstory. I, I guess apparently that reporter was, was asking some weird questions. Maybe I, I still don't even really know the full story. I don't get too wrapped up into that. I mean, I know some people love it. You know, they need that extra drama, that storyline. I mean, I know I'm in the media. I, I usually side with the player when it comes to media access and stupid questions because. I don't know. I just grew up playing sports. I have friends who are pro athletes and, and seeing that side of it. And then also being in the media, I, I just, I can, there are stupid questions. We ask stupid questions. We're always around. We annoy the player to no end in every sport. And I think sometimes these guys just get so fed up. I mean, they're in the moment. All they want to do, especially in the NHL at this point, you lock up the second round, you're eight wins away from a Stanley cup. It's the toughest trophy to win in sports. You don't want to be, you know, you don't want to talk to the media. You just don't. Sometimes you do it because you have to. And um, I don't have any problem with the way a guy answers certain questions. If he doesn't want to answer it, you know, I mean, what what are we doing as as media members? Are we going to force people to say a certain amount of words? You know what I mean? We're going to put a word count on interviews. <laughs> like, I just don't even, I don't even really care. You know, Brad yeah. Marchand, he he. he he did his oblig- media obligation. He talked. He didn't answer questions. I think we should just move on from it, to be honest, because I, I don't really have a problem with it. I have a two-part follow-up question um, from last night's game. Charlie McAvoy had a little bit of a questionable hit um, on Anderson in the mm. game. You know, threw that shoulder up into the head. They didn't give him a major for it, and he wasn't ejected from the game. But he will be suspended uh, for game one of the next series. How do you feel about this level of dirtiness or not in that play? And how, so that's the first part. And second part, how will it affect the Bruins having to play without him in that first uh, game against Carolina? I'll answer the second part first. I, they'll obviously be affected by it, I think, because he is one of their best defensemen. You know, I, I mean, you lose a guy like that. Their power play has been struggling anyways. You lose a guy like that, it's going to struggle even more. But just... Even five on five, I mean, Charlie McAvoy, the way he skates, the way he moves the puck, um, they'll, they'll be affected by that. That's a tough loss for them. But it just with regards to the one-game suspension, yeah, suspend them. I mean, that's a hit you're trying to get out of the league. 
you know, he, he definitely made contact with the head, with his chin, with his shoulder. And um, you don't want that contact. So you want to punish him for it. Be my guest, you know, to spend him one game. That's fine. I, I think from a dirtiness perspective, I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's dirty. Yeah, I don't. Charlie McAvoy doesn't strike me as a dirty player. One, two, that's the type of hit where it's a it's a high speed game. It's a contact sport. He's yeah. He has one. He has one job in that spot, and that's to to put a body on him. That's to make contact. And any subtle move that the player with the puck might make, whether it's a little stop or a little cut to the inside. The defenseman quickly reacts to that, and I think it's just a natural reaction to put a body pot somewhere on that player. In a high-speed, full-contact game, he messed up. He put the shoulder into the chin. It's, I don't think he had intent to injure. I don't think he had intent to hit the head, but I definitely think that he had intent to make contact some, some way, somehow. The league wants to get rid of hits to the head, so they suspend him for a game. They slap him on the wrist, and, uh, and I say slap on the wrist because... You know, you go back to the to the Toronto series, and Nazem Kadri ended up getting the rest of that series with that hit that he put on the breast, the cross check to the to the face. So, in that sense, one game suspension is a slap on the wrist. But um, I don't consider it dirty. I don't think the league necessarily considers it dirty because if they did, then I think they would have give they would have given him more than one game. But I think they had to give him a suspension because contact to the head is what they're trying to get rid of. You know, I think you take the suspension, you eat it, you, you sit out game one, and you just move on. And you hope that you can, you know, it's going to affect them, but you hope that you can somehow figure something out. And you hope that your best defenseman is and continues to be your goaltender in Tukarask. Teams from Boston have different expectations. This is a city of champions. There's a lot of pressure on each of these teams to go into the playoffs, and win a championship. You've seen the similarities between the 2011-2013 team with this team, with the veterans stepping up. It's not just the first first line, it's the second, it's the third line. Um, If this team doesn't win the Stanley Cup at this point, getting this far with all these expectations, mm-hmm. are they a complete failure? Um, a failure, huh? That, I mean, if you look at what we expect in this town, I think any team at this point that that is a favorite to win the Stanley Cup, which the Bruins currently are, I, I think that yeah, I mean you you have to say that if you don't get a championship, you, you know, in this town right now, you fail. I, I mean, failure is a strong strong word in, in a vacuum, but certainly you have to take a look at the rest of the playoffs right now. I mean, Tampa Bay. You don't have to deal with Tampa Bay. They were the best team in the regular season. You don't have to deal with Washington. They are the defending, reigning Stanley Cup champion. And then in the West, the top two seeds in Nashville and Calgary, they both lost in the first round to wildcard teams. So there's a reason why the Bruins are are currently the favorite in Vegas to win the Stanley Cup. It's not just because of what they are. It's also because of the the top teams in the league have, have been eliminated. And the Bruins didn't even have to play. I mean, if you told me going into the playoffs that the Bruins would play Toronto, then they'd have to play the eighth seed in Columbus, and then they'd have to play the seventh seed in Carolina. I would tell you I'd put all my money on the Bruins coming out of the East, and I wouldn't even think twice about it. So if they don't come out of the East with this road, then I would say it is a failure. If they get to the final, 
you know, I guess it depends who they play. Um, you know, I wonder if San Jose is that team that's just been kicking around the last couple of years and they are ready to make their run. If they play St. Louis, if they play Dallas, if they play Colorado, you know, they should beat those teams. San Jose, I think that would be the toughest matchup. You know, at this point, looking around, yeah, you, you, you'd think that, you know, the Bruins should take this. They should, they should win the Stanley Cup. But I'm going to stop short of calling it a failure. I guess this is a long way to answer this question. I'm going to stop short of calling it a failure only because it is the toughest trophy to win in sports. And there's a reason why you're seeing the top teams eliminated because it's the most unpredictable sport in the playoffs. Like, you can predict the NBA, right? You know, I think to an extent you can predict Major League Baseball and even at least in the AFC with the Patriots, the, the NFL. You can't predict the Stanley Cup playoffs, and there's a reason for that because it is such a difficult sport to win in. It's so unpredictable. Anything can happen, and so they should win it based on you know what we see around the rest of the league. But if they don't, I won't be surprised because of the sport's unpredictability. You also can't predict when you're going to have a very perfect podcast guest fall into your lap, and that's what happened for us today. Thank you so much, Danny, for coming on. You're in the belly of the beast. We needed someone from home to give us the real 411 on everything going on, and you nailed it. So thank you so much. You're the best. We love you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Anytime. See you. Thank you. Moving on to the NFL, this is the time of year where we pay attention to things like Who's getting inducted into what Ring of Honor or Team Hall of Fame or whatever? These are things that we fill our time with. While very, very, awesome. very important time. Exactly. Um, Rodney Harrison was recently chosen to be inducted into the Patriots Hall of Fame. He was up against Mike Vrabel and Richard Seymour. And, you know, it doesn't mean that those other guys aren't going to get in at some point, but he was chosen by the fans ahead of them. And there's a little bit of controversy surrounding that, as you can imagine. Both Vrabel and Seymour are... Um, exceptional, you know, players who were with the team a little bit longer yeah, than former Rodney first Harrison round picked impact exactly. guys. Yeah, guys who just they just had a different kind of relationship to the team. Rodney Harrison, in talking about his induction, said point blank, getting inducted into the Patriots Hall of Fame is more important to me and feels better than getting inducted into the Pro Hall of Fame. That's absolutely awesome. Let me just first out say that um, first Patriots jersey I ever owned was a Rodney Harrison jersey. And when he went out and got hurt in the season, I think it was 2007, I hung the jersey over my bed in college. Courtney, wait, hold on. Want to know something crazy? Wait, no. Wanna but know, wait, hold on. Whoa, 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 whoa. Want to know what my first jersey was? Rodney Harrison. Richard Seymour. Okay. the jersey. Okay, Should all right. bust him out? I got into a little argument with um, Jerry Thornton of Barstool on Twitter, and he said basically, yeah, like what you were saying that, you know, that Richard Seymour and Mike Vrabel should have been included way before Harrison. I disagree because this was a guy who was a high impact veteran player, came in, made an immediate impact at Absolutely. safety. He came in, I mean, he played six seasons. Don't forget, he played six seasons with the Patriots. Mm -hmm. He was voted captain right off the bat. Really, in my eyes, he embodied the Patriot way from the second that he walked in that in that facility. And he was a huge impact after, you know, I think Ty Law, Lawyer Malloy, they had that, they had their secondary set. It was OTIS, it was Lawyer Malloy, 
it was um, Ty Law, like you said. Ty Law. It was you know uh, uh, they had a couple of uh, a you know movies. Sante Samuel. Sante Samuel. They had um, what was his name? Um, Ellis Hobbs. No, uh, <laughs> uh, Terrell Buckley in the backfield. I mean, there were some moving pieces, but he stepped right in after those veterans had retired, and he solidified that defense and won two championships with the Patriots. I have nothing wrong with this decision. I I think there's a reason that he was voted in before those other two guys. Yeah, you're 100% right. And the reason is that he's very forward-facing. He's on TV. He's been on TV for a really long time, a steady presence. He's always had the same job, basically. He's very pro-Patriots in the media. And the fact of the matter is Mike Rabel, who is very beloved and who will make it into the Hall of Fame at some point, we have no question about that, he is the coach of the Titans. Yeah. <laughs> it's a They are a team that regularly faces the Patriots, sometimes in the playoffs, and they're an AFC, another AFC team. They have former Patriots playing for them. and they, Former changes. Patriots at the GM, John Absolutely. Robinson, is from the Belichick coaching yeah, team. Yeah, so there's a little bit. It's not that the fans have turned on him by any means. It's just like that's that's in that's in the fans' brains. And Richard Seymour is nowhere to be found. I mean, he, he isn't in the public eye at all. I did and, see him at the Super Bowl, though. Well, I mean, no, I mean, like, I mean, I know he's in, <laughs> I know he's I had a little tweak out. <laughs> Me and Chris Morrissey, my buddy from sixth grade, I was like, oh, my God, that's Richard Seymour. Well, it's funny because you oh. don't. You just don't see him that no, often. It's not the same way that, yeah. like, as, you know, Brewski's on TV and all these guys are on TV and they just, you know, it, at the end of the day, when you have fans voting for this kind of thing, it becomes a little bit of a popularity contest. And right now, Rodney's winning that. And I, you know, he belongs in, Rebel belongs in, Seymour belongs They're in. They're all going to get in, in at time. Point, you know, so, it, you know, I'm not worried about what order it really goes in at this point. Well, winners and losers, moving to the losers, the XFL and Vince McMahon has decided that the... First game of their new 2020 XFL season is going to be like six days after the Super Bowl. Why do you have a problem with this, Tanya? I just think that this is another example of why the XFL is sort of bound to fail because it reminds us that Vince McMahon doesn't make good decisions when it comes to this league. You know, it didn't work the first time for a reason. And I'm not writing it off just for that, but the idea that you would put the game, the first game of this brand new league, Six days after the pinnacle of the NFL, we're going to see peak NFL, the two best teams playing high-level football in front of gajillion million people around the globe. And you're going to six days later debut your rinky-dinky, like brand new, we don't know what the hell we're doing, the rules are going as we go, like league. And it's just going to look stupid. Like you need to give us a few weeks or, you know, ideally even a few months, you know, get that out of our heads we're ready for it. We're craving a little football. We've had our detox. Now we want to see something. Give us some time. Give us some a chance to crave it. And then debut your, like, random-ass football league and see what we but, but, like, you can't be like, that would be like me being like, hey, Courtney, I know you just had creme brulee, but do you want to eat the stale Chips Ahoy cookie? <laughs> No. At least give me an Oreo. I see, I somewhat disagree because after the Super Bowl, people are freaking out. Everyone's like, oh, my God, you know, there's... 38 weeks until the next football season or the next football game. I think this is the perfect time for an addict, a football addict, to just keep going. Like, they don't care, like, what's on their TV. I just want to watch a football game. And, you know, for the RIP to the AAF, I mean, that was kind of what happened this season. It was that first game with those hits and the helmets are flying everywhere and everyone's like, Jesus Christ, there's no discipline in this I mean, hell yeah, give it, give me more, you know, give me more of, of that. And I have, I really don't have a problem with this. What I do have a problem with 
is Vince McMahon kind of, as you said, going on the fly, not really making decisions on, you know, what the rules are. And I know that there's a couple other leagues that are going to come out that might not trump the XFL. I think Ricky Williams is coming out with a league that's run by players. I mean, there's going to be a a number of these copycat leagues that I guess are going to try to make decisions based off of all the mistakes that the AAF made. But, I mean, Vince McMahon... You know, he's going to come out and he's going to, yes, I agree, he's going to try to steal the thunder from the NFL, but he's going to make it like the fucking, like WWE. He's going to make it a big, grand extravaganza. He's going to make everyone stand for the national anthem, whether or not that marijuana is going to be legal in the league. I think that, you know, whatever we throw it on the wall, whatever you throw on the wall is going to stick. And I think that this is a kind of a good segue into showing what the NFL needs to loosen up about, like making marijuana legal. Right. Like you said, the XFL is considering not testing for marijuana at all, which would, like you said, essentially make it legal in the league. Now, that poses a few issues in the states where marijuana isn't legal in the states. So, like, obviously they'd still be held accountable. But in the states where it is, everybody would be allowed to smoke weed, play the game, whatever. And it's an interesting thing because for someone like Vince McMahon, the reason he's making them all stand up for the anthem, like you mentioned, is because he's friends with Trump and yeah. he to suck up a bit to the billionaires who were pissy about it. But then on the other hand, he's willing to potentially forego, you know, marijuana testing, which has been a massive, massive bone of contention in the NFL. And I think, I think it's a signal to the NFL that they have to start moving forward and progressing in their thought process about marijuana. I agree with everything you're saying, Tanya. And I remember a couple of training camps ago, Peter King coming to the Patriots' lower fields, and his whole prerogative was to write a season-long storyline about legalizing marijuana. This was two or three years ago. This should have had some sort of progression over the last couple of years, and it hasn't. Players like David Irving, who just retired from the Cowboys after a massive fallout was suspended by the league for substance abuse, substance abuse meaning... He couldn't stop smoking weed. Now, whether or not that was for after effects of CTE or it was just helping him manage his, you know, his pain day to day. Jerry Jones, his owner, had spoken to David Irving on the side and Irving had kind of come out and said this and said, listen, like the owner of my team had come out and said, smoke all the weed that you want. I don't care. But when it comes to me stepping in line in front of the league that's trying to suspend you, that's not on my hands. So. You know, clearly there is a divide between some of the most powerful owners in the NFL, Robert Kraft, Arthur Blank, Jerry Jones being some of them. There's clearly something behind the scenes that's going on that they're saying like, hey, maybe we want to help our players out a little bit, but they they don't have the justification to do that. But and they might. If they they might. That's what I'm saying. League, right? Yes, yeah. exactly. Well, I mean, what you were saying, too, when we were talking in our pre-production, yeah, this is going to, you know, possibly prevent this being a feeder league. I'm saying, and I think that we both agree now, it's saying that, like, this could help push things along. And now, to finish the podcast today, we have a very special gimmicks and rants discussing the 2019 Met Gala from last night with all the athletes in a very proper way. Very proper indeed. This is speaking to you, the Duchess Courtney of San Vicente. (laughs) 
And now taking over for Courtney Fallon. This is Duchess Courtney of San Vicente. And of course, her loyal <laughs> friend, Duchess Tanya of Mar Vista. Wait, I don't really know. <laughs> All right, we should just do this. I don't even think so. I can't take myself seriously. Um, the worst of first. Worst of first. Of the Met Gala. Tanya, you go first, Miss Duchess of Mar Vista. Well, of course we can't talk about last night's gala without talking about Saquon Barkley and Odell Beckham Jr. Who both wore black short suits. Barkley choosing to expose his thick thighs with a classic dress sock and shoe. While Beckham leaned into a baggier look, sporting lace-up black boots and no sleeves. Well, to be honest, I give this ranking a flat out 2 out of 10, Tanya. I have no idea what the hell Odell Beckham was wearing, what he was thinking. I said this on Twitter. My God, Anna Wintour wants you to leave the Metropolitan Museum of Art because this was embarrassing. In the hat? Ugh. That's not anywhere proper. It was horrible. But I gotta I gotta say, shout out to Saquon for knowing when to show off the thigh. He I mean he he pulled up all the stops. Who do you have next for on our Met Gala rankings? Oh uh, well, of course, we have the king and queen of the Met Gala. Tom Brady and Giselle Bunchen both look stunning while completely ignoring the theme of camp her usual. Giselle wore a satin-looking dress made of all sustainable materials, because why the fuck not? <laughs> and Brady wore a burgundy velvet jacket, which mostly just made him look like the wax figure that he is. <laughs> I have to say, I completely agree with the wax figure, and also, they truly are just DGAF about the theme. Like, I'm kind of sick of it. We get it. You guys are gorgeous. You're a supermodel in a quarterback like can we not do better can you would you rather them wear like a fucking chandelier like katie perry I like that i mean just try it no let them be classy classy people are always going to be classy well tanya. i'm giving them a one for not trying um i give them a motherfucking 10 you would because they are beautiful who is next <laughs> sir duchess of mar vista serena williams showed up in a very large and poofy dress which was a truly stunning yellow that only she could pull off. Such large and poofy. Sounds poofy. so, so fashionable. And best of all, she rocked her matching neon <laughs> Nikes. A nod to her role as one of the brand's signature faces, long fucking Lynn Serena. I could not agree more. <laughs> what else is better than wearing chocks to the Met Gala? Nikes. Nikes. <laughs> Hey girl, it's, this is she's Nike for life. Don't ever get it twisted. They truly were kind of cool though. I really love the fact that she named her daughter the same name as her husband, like Alexis Junior. She's the best, but, but it's a girl. She rocks it though. She just DGAF doesn't give a. So I think we're both going to give her a ten. I no, I'm giving her an eight. I'm giving her a ten. I'm give what? Yeah, I loved her. I love. I just think that she always she manages to try without without while always staying on brand. More importantly, to people who always do stay on brand, tell us your next selection. Oh, of course, we have Jennifer Lopez and Alex Rodriguez showing up in a black bow tie and baby pink jacket. A fitting look a man who already looks like a ventriloquist dummy would have. 
His fiancée, Jennifer Lopez, wore a pearl and silver halter dress covered in crystals with a matching headdress. And somehow the most shimmering thing on her body was still her perfect goddamn skin and that big <laughs> motherfucking ring on her hand. <laughs> it really was crazy. Like, she looks like old school Hollywood and sort of just like sparkly and everything. And A-Rod literally looks... He looks like a he looks like he looks like he was ass making his mouth move. I think in this picture that you posted on our notes, it really looks like he came straight out of the Botox Center in Miami. <laughs> like, like literally, he went in in his pregame warmup. Some people take shots of tequila. Don Julio, nineteen forty-two. He just had like needles coming out of his face and skin, which is perfect for his biogenesis scandal that you know they made a goddamn movie about. Jen gets a nine, I think, and A-Rod gets a... Two. He gets a two for bringing her. <laughs> and finally, Julian Edelman. Oh, Julian. He tried, I guess. <laughs> White jacket, black tie, black pants. Let's just say no one, Courtney, in all of human history has ever looked more <laughs> like a Four Seasons room service waiter. <laughs> not be more accurate and literally just the pictures of julian in the in the uber or the you know black car service in the black car service with tom brady and giselle popping in in the back like hey i'm here you guys you guys want to hang out hey here's me and and saquon and odell just popping in like looking like literally a four seasons waiter we posted most of these already on Instagram, so make sure you go and check out all the outfits we are talking about. And we'll, we'll, we'll add the descriptions so you can laugh along yes, as well. They are they were um they were quite a sight to behold, all the all the athletes trying to fit in with the A-listers. And you know what? At the end of the day, we support athletes at the Met Gala, whether they're wearing lace-up boots with baggy shorts that look like a Scottish kilt, or they're bringing their ventriloquist dummy fiance with them. We don't care. Unless your name is Colin Kaepernick, because yeah. we forgot him on this list. Was he there? He was. Oh, I didn't know that. He is not included on our list. <laughs> well, he's not currently a pro <laughs> He will never be. All right. Well, very important week for everyone in sports. We're going to have the start of the Eastern Conference Finals. Thank you again to our guest, Danny Picard. Danny Picard. I mean, I can't, I can't. I can't. He's just. No, he's the best. No, he's the best, and he always knocks me for talking about his accent, but I'm sorry. Like, for everyone who's never heard Danny Picard, who's so knowledgeable of the NHL, you cannot avoid talking about hockey without his accent. Well, that's the thing. is, it, it, We're actually not knocking it. It's I mean, to me, it's just it's a very compliment. familiar and adorable, and I love it. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing to knock about it. So, team Danny Picard forever. Yeah, and then we're going to see the Celtics lose in a heartbreaker. Yeah, it's not. I, gonna be, it's, it's not going to be a heartbreaker. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's just going to end. Make it fucking end. Please put us out of our misery, Kyrie. And in the meantime, it's time for us to go drink some wine. So we'll talk to you guys later. See ya. Ciao. Vince McMahon. Do you know that they named Meghan Markle named her kid Earl? That's his name. The royal baby. His name she is Earl. Did? Earl. They were like, oh, this is a name that unifies. Like my name is Earl. <laughs> yeah, but like, yeah, exactly. So they have a spelling. So it's like, it's like British and redneck. Just, they're like, That's really bad. It unites America and the UK. I don't know. I'm just like, how no, anyone's it, name is fucking Earl. No, it unites Earl. Kentucky. <laughs>
and and Buckingham Palace. It unites everyone for their love of chicken and beer. Buckets. What the fuck? Buckets.